Thank you, Andy, for sharing our scripture reading this morning. Uh, we are going to be in Philippians chapter 1 today and uh, talking today about living a godly life, which I think is so appropriate for a day like this when we are setting apart these three brothers for the ministry to which God has called them to serve as as pastors in our midst, to to follow God's call on their lives, to to serve in this high and holy capacity of a pastor. This day for me has brought back a lot of memories of the last six or seven years. It's been almost six years ago since our church went from having one pastor to having multiple pastors. And at that time, the church called out three men to serve in this capacity. One of those was already ordained. One would be ordained shortly thereafter, and the other will be ordained this morning. You know, we we got into a discussion this morning in our Sunday school class, an early Sunday school class, about why is our church called Corinth? That's a horrible namesake if you understand the New Testament uh, church at Corinth. But I've actually thought of another name that we could have that would be really appropriate for today, which would be we could be called Cart Before the Horse Baptist Church. Because we have a pattern in all three of these men. Uh, Bob has been serving as one of our pastors now uh, for, uh, it's been almost six years that Bob has been serving. And we're just now getting around to ordaining him as a pastor. Again, cart before the horse. Uh, Grant has been serving as our worship leader for even longer than that. And uh, he had been serving for a number of years as our worship leader before we ever got him biblically baptized. Cart before the horse. And Andy Himmelhaver had been serving as one of our deacons for a while before we got him biblically baptized. Again, cart before the horse. So if you're looking for a new name for Corinth Baptist Church, we're just going to go with cart before the horse Baptist Church. And we can explain that about as well as we can Corinth. So, But in all seriousness this morning, this is a a culmination uh, in many ways uh, and also... A launching point for these brothers. It's the it's the end of a season, the beginning of a new season. For Bob, this has been going on now again. Called out by the church six years ago, he served so faithfully. Has brought so much wisdom and leadership to this body. I'm so thankful for my brother Bob Miller and what he has invested in my own life, and also what he has invested in this in this church to the glory of God. And then two years ago, the church recognized in Grant and Andy two other men that had these giftings. And these men were nominated. It's now been, believe it or not, two years ago. At the time, we had said to the church, we intend to walk with these guys through a year's worth of training. And we did. And then COVID hit. And one year of training became two years of training. The first year was very much about theology and getting into the word and growing in the word together and then last year was a crash course in the practical side of ministry as we wrestled together through what to do with covid and face masks and online church and all the myriad of issues that i never thought that i would face as a pastor and i want to say to you church i am so thankful that I did not have to endure the last year pastorally by myself. 
I have watched a number of brothers in the ministry and other churches who are serving in a single pastor situation be crushed by the weight of this last year of ministry. It has been a very difficult time for everyone, but for pastors, the weight has been, how do we do what God has called us to do when some of the most basic things about pastoral ministry seem to have been ripped away? We can't make home visits and hospital visits anymore, so how do we stay connected with our folks? For two months last year, we couldn't even meet together as the church. So how do we preach the gospel faithfully when our only uh, only remaining element is, is online church, which you've heard my thoughts on that? It's no replacement for this kind of a gathering. How do we do what God has called us to do in a, in a pandemic-stricken world, and yet God's gift to this pastor has been other pastors that this church has called out to stand with me, to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, as our text says this morning. I'm thankful for these brothers, and I, and I, want, I want to preach this morning a little bit differently. I want to preach to these brothers that we are, are ordaining. But church, I don't want you to feel like you're somehow audience to something that doesn't involve you today. That's sometimes the way that ordination services come across is I feel like I'm an audience to something that I'm not really a part of. And I want to say to you this morning, if you belong to the church, and in particular, if you belong to this church, this involves you because you're part of this body and you've been a part of equipping these men and calling out these men for this ministry to which God has called them. And so, brothers, I want to begin with 1 Peter chapter 5. We have talked about this passage much in our training over the last couple of years, and I want to go back there. We're going to go back there a couple of times today. 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, the pastors among you, this word, uh, this office that's also sometimes talked about as overseers. We believe that elder, pastor, overseer, it's all the same offices, different titles uh, that are used for the same office. He says, I exhort you, fellow elders, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. But notice this last phrase, but being examples to the flock. Church, I want us to understand this morning We are not setting aside these men because they are somehow high and more holy than others, somehow more special and uniquely gifted than others. We are setting aside these men to serve as examples for what all of us are called to be. That's what those qualifications that Matt read in 1 Timothy 3 earlier should remind us of is that these men are just simply setting before us an example of what all of us have been called to. And as we consider that this morning, as we consider their example, we want to run back to the main question of the text that Andy read for us this morning. 
and to ask this. What does it look like to walk worthy of the gospel? What does it look like to walk worthy of the gospel? Verse 27 of Philippians 1 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word only is a word that ought to grab hold of our attention because what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he is setting before us a top shelf priority. He's saying if you don't do anything else, do this. It's like if my wife sends me to the store with a grocery list and she says, if you can't get anything else, make sure that you get the green chilies. That's one thing we had a hard time finding during the pandemic for a while. That's why it comes to mind. Only do this. Make sure that this happens. And he's saying this is the top shelf priority for the church at large. And then pastors serve as an example of what this looks like. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what does it look like? We're going to talk about three things this morning. What does it look like for us to walk worthy of the gospel? And again, I'm talking to these three men, but church, I'm talking to all of us because these elements are not unique to pastors. They are a part of our calling as the people of God. First of all, we're called to live lowly. We are called to live lowly in humility. And a picture of that is how we stand devotedly in one spirit. There's always in the scriptures this connection between our unity in the body of Christ and our humility in the body of Christ. It's constant in the scriptures. You see it over and over again, especially in Ephesians 4. There's this connection between our unity in the body of Christ and our humility in the body of Christ. You see it in Philippians chapter 2. There's many places that we see this connection, and it's vital that we would be a people characterized by humility. And brothers that we're ordaining this morning, I want to say to you, I want to exhort you this morning to stay humble. One of the great blessings of walking through the ordination councils with these brothers over the last month as we have gathered other pastors together to examine, to exhort, and to encourage these men. We've met together for multiple hours with these brothers both before those councils and then in the midst of those councils as we brought other pastors in to participate in this process. One of the great joys for me in walking through this was seeing other pastors who aren't a part of our church recognize in those interactions the humility of these brothers that's huge that they were not noting how exceptionally gifted these brothers are though that these brothers do have some exceptional giftedness in variety in a variety of areas but they were noting every one of them noted the humility of these men that our church has called out to serve in pastoral ministry and that is huge church that's, that's something that we ought to be encouraged by. That others are seeing the humility of our leaders. That they're walking in the example of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, you can see it there just after our text. 
Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Churches will be reminded this morning, if we're going to follow after Jesus, which is our call, we must do so in humility. We must have an other-centered mentality. We must recognize that our own interests are not the only interests in the world. Far too much of American Christianity today is running around like a bunch of toddlers fighting over the same toys. What we need is a fresh dose of humility that will produce in us a greater sense of unity. We need leaders today like Abraham Lincoln who said, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Not to get political, but let me just say this, church. May God give us leaders, presidents, governors, all areas of our nation's leadership that have that kind of a mentality, that recognize that their wisdom is insufficient for the task. The brothers we're sitting before you today, they recognize that their wisdom, their giftedness, their education, their abilities are insufficient for the task to which they've been called. That's what keeps you humble. When you recognize that what you're bringing to the table isn't going to get it done. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, if God doesn't do something in us that we cannot do in and of ourselves, it's going to fall flat every time. It's a fearful thing to stand before you and to preach God's word. Because we recognize that apart from the movement of the Spirit of God, this will fall flat. And even worse, even worse, we will one day stand before the living God and have to give an account for this ministry. This ministry of the word and this ministry among God's flock. Men, we stay humble by remembering that the Holy Spirit is the great applier of this salvation. If you go back to our text there in verse 27 at the end, he says you are standing firm in one spirit. There's some debate over whether that word spirit ought to be capitalized or not capitalized in order to reference the Holy Spirit. And there's some who would say, no, it really Paul's talking about in one attitude and one mindset that we're standing together in, in that kind of an attitude. Or I would say, no, this is obviously the way that Paul uses the, the term the spirit, especially in relation to unity, as he's doing here, that he's always referencing the Holy Spirit. And, and I love uh, what Pastor John Piper did as he was explaining this. And he said, and everybody's debating, is this our attitude or is this the Holy Spirit? And he's saying, here's the answer. It's both. That's a great 
pastor answer right there. It's not either or. It's both of these things. It's the Holy Spirit that produces in us the attitude of humility and unity necessary for the task that sits before us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes application of salvation in our lives. He's not only the guarantee of our salvation, he's the applier of our salvation that's worked out in our sanctification. And so we look to the Holy Spirit and we remind ourselves once again, this task is impossible apart from him. So men, live lowly. Jesus himself said, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, may that be true of us, that we are a people gentle and and lowly in heart, not thinking too much of ourselves, but making much of Christ. Secondly, this morning, not only would I encourage you to live lowly, I would encourage you today to live learning. Striving daily in the Scriptures. Recognizing the wondrous tool that God has given us in His Word. This is all that is necessary for us to understand God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. He has given us this instruction manual. He has written to us this love letter. He has given us this living truth that we have the joy and the privilege of being able to spend time in day by day that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection in our own lives. Again, as I think back to these ordination councils that we've just experienced. Another thing that was pointed out in each of these was there was an exhortation given by other pastors that, that, that Matt and I were able to echo as well. That there was an exhortation given to these brothers that they continue to make progress in the faith. That they continue to devote themselves to the study of God's word. That they, that they not get to a place where they think they've arrived. They not get to the place where they, they think that they, they've settled in to the sweet spot. That they constantly recognize that we have been called to be lifelong learners. We remind ourselves where our instruction comes from. Second Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Brothers, let's remind ourselves that if we are not continuing in the word of God, we cannot hope to shepherd the people of God. It cannot happen. That living relationship with Christ, the true and chief shepherd, will be the means by which we are able then to be those under shepherds. This is the equipping. And so, brothers, I want to encourage, and in the church as well, that we would be lifelong learners. Never retiring from this pursuit of Christ. 
Never coming to the point where we think that we have arrived. Always striving forward, pressing on. Paul in his last days said, I press on to the goal of the high calling I have in Christ Jesus. He wanted to run until the very last breath and he did by the grace of God. And that is what he's called us to in this retirement ridden culture. He has called us to be a people who never retire in our faith. Who are constantly striving until the day our faith becomes sight. Let's be like Ezra. Who had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. To do it and to teach it in Israel. What was the result of that? What's the result of the life of a man who, like Ezra, sets his heart, his intentions, his purposes toward God's holy word? It's given to us in Nehemiah chapter 8. The outworking of Ezra's private time in studying the word of God was displayed in Nehemiah 8. When it says, on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, all the leadership came together to Ezra the scribe. Why? In order to study the words of the law. I'm so thankful for what God has done in our church over the last five or six years in particular. But I'm thankful for a longer heritage than that of seeing the word of God being taught. And may the word of God continue to be central. That we gather here together not just to have some kind of a religious experience. We gather to hear the word of God. We gather together not just to sing songs that will stir our emotions. We gather to sing the Word of God. I hope you noticed how scripturally based the songs that we were singing this morning. There are many, many references to scriptures that we were singing this morning. We want to hear the Word. We want to sing the Word. And we want to respond to the Word of God. Not just filling our heads with spiritual truths that will make us Bible eggheads, but recognizing this word is meant to be lived out in our lives. It's necessary. We'd be lifelong learners. But again, a reminder. A reminder for us that our Father God is the great architect of this salvation. There is a subtle pride that is a temptation in pastoral ministry. In all of our studying and learning and diving into the Word of God and then being able to bring those great treasures before the people of God, there is a subtle temptation. Church, this is how you can pray for your pastors. Pray that God would keep us humble, that God would keep us learning. Pray that God would keep us at the foot of the cross where we're recognizing that apart from what God has done in in drawing us out of the darkness of our sin and into his marvelous light, apart from what God has done in, in creating this opportunity for us to be saved and drawn into his kingdom, apart from what God has done, we've got nothing to offer. My studying is not going to get it done. My studying is necessary, but it's not going to get the work of the kingdom done. Again, it's God's work to which we've been called. And so Paul says to Timothy, once again, do your best then. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And again, brothers, let me remind you. 
we rightly handle the word of truth by approaching the word of God with great humility and the desire to be that lifelong learner that is constantly in pursuit of the Savior. Finally, this morning, we want to live lowly, we want to live learning. Perhaps the hardest of the three, we want to live longing. Live longing by suffering difficulty for our Savior's sake. Verse 29. Paul writes, it has been granted to you. That word granted could easily be translated graced. It's the gift of God for you. What is? That for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in Him. Faith is the gift of God, Ephesians 2 reminds us. Not only that you should believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. You see, this would be a gift we might be tempted to try to return. The gift of faith we love. The gift of suffering... Not so much. But remember, even Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, as he was bowing in the garden and crying out to God and sweating droplets of blood from his forehead, as he was crying out to God and praying, Lord, if there be, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. What was his response? But not my will, but yours be done. And when he rose from that prayer, he marched steadfastly toward the cross. And brothers, we must rise from our knees day by day and march steadfastly toward the cross. It will mean suffering for us. He promised it. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said to his followers, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He said, following me is going to mean persecution. We haven't seen outright persecution to a great degree in our nation for a long time, but perhaps it's it's coming, and will we be ready for that? How will we be ready? By seeing our sufferings particularly our sufferings for the gospel in light of God's grace. D.A. Carson said, Your change in character, your united stand in defense of the gospel, your ability to withstand with meekness and without fear the opposition that you must endure constitutes a sign. That sign speaks volumes both to the outside world and to the Christian community. It's a sign of judgment against the world that is mounting the opposition. It's also a sign of assurance that these believers really are the people of God and will be saved on the last day. Church, have you noticed how the world takes note of how you suffer? They don't take a lot of note of how we sing. They don't care much about how we preach. They rarely listen to our our shots at evangelism and sharing the gospel. But the world takes notice of how we suffer. 
And if we are able to suffer well, it stands as a signpost that points them to the kingdom of God and the king who sits upon the throne who is a lamb who was slain. Our king is a lamb who was slain. So why then would we shirk taking up the cross in our following of him? Church, we are called to endure suffering. And by the way, endure doesn't just mean put up with it. This is endurance with joy. This is Acts 5 when they got their first beating for proclaiming Jesus and the apostles went away rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. The suffering was granted to them and they rejoiced, not because they were crazy people, but because they were Christian people who recognized that following a crucified Messiah would mean a cross for me there is suffering in pastoral ministry but it is glorious suffering and so these final encouragements as for you always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry First Peter 2, this is a gracious thing, a gift of God. When mindful of God, and may we always be mindful of God, not thinking that God is neglecting us in our suffering, but recognizing this comes to us from His gracious hand. Just as your faith comes to you from the gracious hand of God, your suffering comes to you from the gracious hand of God. And both of these will be a signpost that points to others to Him. Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. There is injustice in this world. One day, the king of all kings will make it all right. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. Until then, we rest in his promise. And we remind ourselves not only that the Spirit is the great applier of this salvation, that the Father is the great architect of this salvation, but we remind ourselves as we finish this morning that the Son of God is the great one who has accomplished fully and completely no things left undone. He has done everything necessary for this great salvation that will guarantee us a place in the kingdom of God. That's why he cried out on the cross in John 19 and said, it is finished. Brothers, I want to remind you, as you are stepping into this pastoral ministry, as you are being set apart this morning, I want to remind you today that Jesus is not calling you to complete his unfinished work. That Jesus is calling you to proclaim with your life His finished work. To recognize that that is the call. And as we suffer, one of the great purposes of our suffering is that it would increase 
our longing for his return. Church, I am so encouraged and excited that we're going to spend our summer talking much about the second coming of Christ. I know the events in Israel right now and so many other things that are that are stirring up. And I'm so thankful that God is stirring up the church to be reminded this is not all there is. He is coming soon. And may we, as we come to the end of this message this morning, may we be reminded of that final and I believe greatest of prayers in all of the scriptures. What he closes the canon of scripture with in Revelation 22 when he said he who testifies to these things that's the lord jesus himself says surely i am coming soon and the church responds amen come lord jesus church may we not forget that prayer pastors may we not forget that prayer may we not get so comfortable and may we not be so coddled in the current moment that we forget that we are sojourners strangers in a foreign land We are an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom of God. But one day the king is coming and our great desire should be to pray to that end that the grace of the Lord Jesus would be with us all. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege to proclaim your holy word. To consider truths too great for us and yet simple enough for a child to understand. Thank you for the call to live lowly. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. We don't have to run after 15 minutes of fame. We don't have to seek to build a kingdom that bears our inscription. We've been called to serve the king, and in that we rejoice. Thank you for the call to be lifelong learners, a constant, courageous, consistent pursuit of Christ. That we might run hard after the one who came running after us. And Father, thank you for the gift of suffering. We admit it's hard for us to say that, but thank you for the gift of suffering. It reminds us of the cross. And it reminds us that our King is coming for us. May we suffer well. So that a lost and dying world might take notice. And might look to the one who suffered in our place that we might be brought into the place he is preparing for us. Father, as we close our service this morning with this time of meditation, this time laying on of hands what the church has done for the last 2,000 years and setting men aside for ministry, may we rejoice in you. Be reminded of your promises. And constantly be growing in our desire that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.